What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for checking out another episode of Lafayette Connect. On this one, I sat down with my friend Jason Tyke. Jason is a super interesting guy. He's only a couple years older than me. He's uh, 27 years old, but these past few years that I've known him, I've 100% looked up to him and always take what he says to heart. He is a real estate investor. Um, he's on his fifth house at 27 years old. And on top of that, as if that's not impressive enough, he's co-owner of Mako Collision Repair and Auto Painting on Earl Avenue. So he's a business owner, a hustler, a go-getter, He's just a cool guy, so I thought uh, he would make a good episode for a podcast. So I hope you enjoy it. Thank you again, Jason. Welcome back to Lafayette Connect. I'm sitting here with my good friend Jason Tyke, who is the uh, co-owner of Mako. He's also the uh, head honcho in charge of it. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, like you said, I'm the uh, manager and 10% owner of Mako. I bought it with a business associate uh, trying to make some money. Mako has been around since the 70s. We paint automobiles. We work on collision repair. We do restorations. Basically, if it's anything to do with making your car look better, we handle it. It was founded, like I said, back in the 70s by Anthony Martino and uh, is based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. There's 500 franchise locations across the country with uh, warranty that transfers anywhere in the country. So even if you're moving, we can paint your car, and if there's a problem, get it fixed at another Mako get you taken care of for sure so i chose jason to be on this podcast because i've known you not very well but i've known you for a couple years now and one thing that's always stood out to me was you make a lot of moves in real estate you've bought how many houses have you bought and rented out now um well, i bought two of my own personal properties i've done two as rentals and then um, working on one right now to purchase for my mother so she can move in. Which doesn't sound like a lot. I mean, to some people you might say, well, that's not a lot of houses. But for, you said you were 27, about to be 27 in May. Mm -hmm. That is a lot to say you're 27 years old and have already been through five houses. So this is someone who really understands the real estate game. And he's, on top of that, he also jumped in and bought himself a co-ownership of Mako, which... So that's why I specifically chose him because he's a, he's one of those guys that just gets out there and makes things happen and it's it's cool to know you and see how things are going and watch you uh, watch you grow. Well, I appreciate that. You know? So what what got you interested in real estate? Did you love it as a kid? I remember one time we were talking and you said you read the book Rich Dad Poor Dad. You read that in sixth grade. And yes, I that stood out to me. I've read that book, but. I remember thinking, man, he was reading that book at sixth grade. Like, he's on a whole different level. I mean, sixth grade, all I cared about was Pokemon. So. <laughs> so it actually came at the request of my mother. She'd read it before me, and then she gave it to me, and I read it, and I chewed it up. And then I read two or three more of his books, um, Cashflow Quadrant and um, The Intelligent Investor, I think it is, or The Certified, I can't remember. I wanted Cashflow. I haven't read any of them other than Rich Dad, Poor Dad. But yeah, I've actually also got them on audiobook. You know, it's it's one of those things that... That's the new normal, too. Yeah, yeah, no. He, um, he gets you in the door. I will say he's not the best with explaining different strategies, but... Especially to a sixth grader. Well, I mean, that, that actually made it quite easy, and then I probably got another 20 real estate books that I'd read by the time I was in eighth grade. Whoa. Yeah, I mean... That's awesome. It's a great way to build passive income, you know, the stock market's at the whim of God knows what, 
half the time, which I don't get me wrong, I do play with it, and I found some great ways to make some money. We can get into that if we want. But um, the real estate market, at the end of the day, stereotypically always goes up. Granted, I think we're at the top of a bubble right now. Um, I think once the, uh, the COVID restrictions come off and people are allowed to foreclose and evict, we'll see a lot of homes hit the market. And that won't be good for the market as a whole, but it'll be great for some investors. There are going to be a lot of people that scoop up a lot of properties for a hell of a deal. Yep. And that, I mean, I don't like to see the place that we're in either, but that is just how things go. I mean, it's, it's the reality of the world right now. Yeah. But still, reading those kind of books from sixth to eighth grade, that does alter your mind. I mean, that, I, th I believe that helped you with your, your focus and your switch of really deciding what you want to be and how to start. And starting at such a young age like that, I think uh, that set you up for a world of possibility. I mean, yeah, I, uh, from an early age, I was given a, a very small taste of having money. Um, my parents had some money um, when I was really young. My dad had a really awesome boat. You know, it just kind of impressed upon me the things you can do with money and uh, not just materialistic things. Granted, that's what we all lean more towards, but oh, you, know, yeah, you can be more more giving with friends and family. You, know, you can be more uh, giving with your schools and that type of thing. You know, my wife is an English teacher and up where we live, you know, the poverty rate is quite high. And just to be able to take a, a kid's you know, a son or daughter's friend out to eat lunch and not even think about being able to afford taking them where, you know, these are kids that might never go to a sit-down restaurant. You know, being able to be generous without even thinking about it is, is a huge goal. And I realized at a very young age that that's how I wanted to be. I wanted to have the cool stuff. I wanted to be able to help people in need of true help. And so that kind of, once I was introduced to Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that kind of led me to, okay, where uh, where do I want to be? How do I want to get there? And really plot it out mentally. Um, you know, we all hit stumbling blocks, but my first rental property in Indy, I bought on contract, um, took a loan out on my credit card, uh, actually several credit cards. I had to put $9,000 down. Uh, oh, yeah. That's a big one for your first house. Yes. That's yes. not your standard FHA, was it? No, no. It was seller financing. He wanted 15 down. Um, I told him I'd give him nine down and finance the uh, remaining, what is that, 36000 Um Held on to it for about five years and sold it last January in 2019 for 65000 So huh. I made about $20,000 on it. Um, How old was, were you when you first bought that, your first rental? I bought that in 2013, no, 2014. Um, so at the time I was 20, yeah, 20 years old. Um, learned a lot of lessons with that. Oh, I, I bet. Tried to be my own landlord, um, did not have the heart for that. A lot of people say that paying 10, 15% to a management company is not worth it. I disagree with that 100%. Let them deal with it. All you got to do at the end of the day is write a check. Um, it's so much easier, a lot less headache. And um, what did you not like about being a landlord? Was it was it having to evict people or tell people to be cleaner? I mean, you don't have to get personal with the stories, but what what did you specifically not like about it? 
having to deal with people and their uh, sob stories, whether they're true or false, you know, when I someone's can see sitting there saying, oh, you know, we can't put food on the table, it's hard to say, you know, uh, yeah, you have to pay me the rent or you're out type thing. Um, on the flip side of that, though, you know, if you think about it, they're stealing from you. So that's kind of a motivation to also get it paid. I mean, I, I hate to say it that way, but they're living in your property rent-free at that point. So they're stealing from you technically. Yeah, you're not wrong. I uh, I think you have to have a certain – I don't want to say a backbone, but I almost want to say I'd be too nice. I feel like I would listen to the sob stories and fall for it a lot. It took me a long time to realize, a lot longer than I wanted, to realize that I needed to be a lot sterner, and I realized I couldn't do that, so I brought in a management company. It also, um, it was in Indianapolis. I was living in Lafayette, so it was Ooh, an hour drive. Yeah. Um, so, hey, a pipe's leaking. Got to go down there and deal with that. I was working nights at the time. There was one time we went down there. It was like 2 p.m. in the afternoon. Pipe was leaking, and... Uh, I'm somewhat handy. I'm not very handy. Uh, pipe was leaking water. Well, I'm like, okay, I'll go down and fix it. I got down there and uh, cut out the pipe, but it was still leaking water pretty bad. You know, there was still water trying to go through the pipe a little bit, even though we'd shut the water off. And so I wasn't able to sweat a new pipe on it. And so we had to go home that day. I worked at 11 p.m. We went home at 7. I got like Two hours sleep, it was miserable. Had to go back the next day because I didn't fix it. And then I found this really cool thing at Lowe's cells. They're called shark bites, and they just slide right onto the pipe. No welding, no soldering, no yeah, anything. And uh, But it took me 10 hours of being on my hands and knees in a wet, damp crawl space. So what did people think about having a 20-year-old landlord or 21-year-old landlord because that would be that would seem to cause some issues, I would think, of people trying to take advantage. I mean, 20 years old is a kid. I mean, oh, yeah. it's And even to this day, working with people, um, there's a lot of animosity. Uh, you know, I have 55-year-old employees that are pissed off that I'm their boss and they have to answer me. There's not someone else they can go to. Um, as a tenant, going to a 20-year-old landlord, you know, and, you know, it also depends upon the management of the property. There are great property management companies out there, and then there are slumlords. You know, if you don't care about your tenants, you know, that, that's another thing I'll never do. I'll never buy a, uh, a lower-end property again because it's just you're inviting more headaches than you need. Your first property in Indy, was that a lower-end Yeah, it spot? was. It, it was in a rougher neighborhood. Um, it was one of those things I always carried when I went down there. Uh, you know, it was... It was one of those things where I didn't leave the car unlocked. I didn't uh, didn't leave my wallet on the dash or anything like you can in some places. Yeah, rough neighborhoods are a hard place to invest in because, you know, it's got a reputation as a rough neighborhood for a reason. I've got a uh, an older gentleman I know that he owns six rental properties. He's kind of funding his retirement that way. But... They're nice properties. He goes over and he works on them. You know, he's got putting fresh mulch down and stuff. You know, stuff that, to be honest, I don't have the the want to do. So I, anytime I see a property with mulch, I try and okay, how are we going to get rid of that? Are we going to put grass there? <laughs> are we going to put stone there? Mulch is just uh, one of those things for me. But so, uh, 
20 years old, did you have somebody watching over your shoulder? I mean, I just imagine myself at 20 years old and I know I would, was not ready to be making, you know, for a move like that. And even at 20 years old, it sounds like you were confident that you had the neighborhood picked out. What were, what was that like? Did you have somebody helping you out? Did you know exactly what you were looking for? Were nope. You- I jumped in a hundred percent blind. Oh, okay. Um, you know, on, uh, my 18th birthday, I applied for a credit card because in this world, you can't get anywhere without credit. Um, so I I applied for a credit card, um, got a student Capital One card with a $300 limit. I charged anything and everything I could to that card, and then I'd pay it off, and I'd charge anything and everything, and eventually, my current Capital One card has a credit line of $7,500. Um, I've got a Discover card with a limit of $8,000. So in the nine years since I got credit, you know, I have used it to help fund transactions, help fund stupid purchases that I regret. <laughs> um, but, you know, at the end of the day, a bank's going to look at that and say, okay, this guy has some credit. This guy has a credit history. You know, I may not have always paid off the full balance, but I've never missed a payment. Not one time have I ever missed a payment. That's a big one. I got that too, where so far I haven't missed one payment. I know once you do miss one payment, that score takes a pretty big hit from that. Um, So you use, because I kind of, I hear from different people. Some people like you, it sounds like you use debt to a full advantage. You use debt to buy houses, flip them and make 20 grand. That's a big, for five years and to make 20 grand like that at your age, that's, I'd be pretty happy with that. Um, but also I, and I personally follow Dave Ramsey, who is no debt, stay out of debt, get your stuff cleared out and then make, buy everything cash. Um, and so it's, I see both sides of it. I really do. There's Um, a lot of schools of thought on that. And my biggest thing is I don't care who you are at some point, you're going to need to go to a bank and say, I need money be it for a car, a house, a business, there's going to come up something in your life. And if they don't see a good credit history, you know, and now I'm not saying go out there and rack up $30,000 in debt for no reason. I'm saying go to the gas station, pay for it with your credit card, go to lunch, pay for it with your credit card, save all that money in your bank account, and then at the end of the month, pay it off. It doesn't have to be giant, you know, looming debts or anything. It just needs to be something that shows you have a good history of paying for your stuff. Which I, I did. I followed that pretty much. Like when I turned 18 until about a year ago, that's what I did. I would rack up. My credit card has always had like $1,000 and I would always spend 1000 paid off at the end of the month. Spend 1000 I did it with all my bills. And uh, now my credit score is, I'm pretty happy with it. It's an 800 but um, and an 800 for a 24 year old is a hell of a credit score. Yeah, it's just perfect. Everything. I haven't made any mistakes yet. But like you said, you wait on one payment. Yeah, and it's it it'll tank. And um, so it's kind of hard to, because also Dave Ramsey says <clears throat> your credit score doesn't. All that is is a I love debt score. Which I like. I said I get both sides. I'm just doing the debt free thing to uh, pretty much pay my car off and get a clear start and. But Hopefully. see, you got a car loan, so that means at some point you had to go to the bank and I say, did. hey, yep. I need a loan. Yep. And they can look at that credit score and be like, okay, you know what? I mean, you don't have to have 800 credit score and $20,000 in debt. You can pay it off every time, and 
you know, you'll still have a pretty damn good score. But I like I like that you use debt to make these big deals happen because you couldn't I couldn't just go buy a house right now without getting into getting a loan of some sort. So, and I, if I were to tell you that I planned it all out and it was perfect, I'd be lying to you. A hundred percent, I'd be lying to you. The details on my first property, so it was a duplex. That's another thing that uh, I was not your first purchase. Usually, your first home is not usually a duplex. That's, yeah. Well, there's certain benefits of it because, you know, my biggest concern was with a regular house, you have it as a rental, and then one day the tenant gets evicted, leaves, whatever, stops paying. You're still on the hook for your mortgage. At the time, I was working at the Hampton Inn making $10 an hour, and I had my own property and a car payment. There was no way I was going to be able to pay for the house I was living in, my car payment, and the mortgage on this property or on any property. So I knew I had to have some type of security. The chances of with a duplex of both your tenants not paying rent is a lot lower. I mean, obviously it can still happen, but don't get me wrong, it's a lot lower. So the guy that uh, sold it to me, we did seller financing, and he, my payment was one of the tenants' rent. So you know, they rented for five hundred dollars a month, or five fifty. I don't remember exactly, but the good old so, days. Yeah, five fifty a month rent. Well, again, you have to remember where this was at. Too. Yeah, and uh, so you know, I was paying him one side of the rent for the uh, mortgage, and the other side I was using to pay down the nine thousand dollars in credit card debt I had accumulated to afford this property. And there was a time, actually. I was kind of lucky when I bought it. It was December, so it might have been December of 2013, but um, one tenant paid every year, the full year, in advance with their tax return. So right after I bought the property, said tenant gave me a $5,000 check. I went and paid that on the credit card debt. So that was, I got very lucky with that. I thought you felt like a champion that oh, day. Oh, that was a good day. That <laughs> Man, was a I good bet. day. Um, but so then the rest of the year, you know, little things come up, needs a new water heater. Yep, you got to pay for that, you know. But you get lucky sometimes. I've gotten lucky more than my fair share, to be honest. But hey. Um, we're going to pause just for a quick, brief uh, commercial break. We will be right back. All right, we're back. Let's. Uh, Let's talk about how – so you started this weird career or a jumpstart into real estate. You have bought your first couple houses. What happened from there until just recently where you said, I'm going to buy myself into a position and ownership at MAKO? Well, you know, every job you work, you're making someone else rich. And at the end of the day, that's – that's a poor way to maintain your own financial well-being. I mean, yeah, you can make tons of money and everything, but at the end of the day, the minute you stop working is the minute money stops coming in. So the thought process behind any business is, you know, make money while you're not there, while other people are doing the work. Um, you know, looking back at anything, you make mistakes. Mine, you know, I, I got involved in a business I knew nothing about. Oh, yeah, that's right. I, I didn't even think about that. But you actually did not know hardly anything at all about cars or car restoration. 
and then you jumped and bought into that company. What what made you do that? I mean, it sounds like you just you just jump into big decisions just to make the move and get the experience. And I love that, man. I really do. It uh, it's definitely a risky thing to do, but you learn. And the best way to learn, you know, when they say you're trying to learn a foreign language, you go immerse yourself in the culture. When you're trying to learn something about a job, just jump in. Huh? That's a good um, way to put it. Yeah, it, like I said, it's a very risky way to do it because you can screw up majorly, and I'm, I made my fair share of them again, but I've learned a lot. You know, A year later, I'm very comfortable with my knowledge. There's very few questions that I need to ask that I don't know the answer to in advance. If I do ask a question, 99% of the time, it's reaffirming, reaffirming what I already know. So you, you had other jobs before. Um, I know you worked, you did something in real estate before Mako, right? No, uh, never worked in it aside from investing. Um, I've known a ton of real estate agents and spoken with them. Um, before I was working here, I was working at uh, Shilly, which was a trucking company. He sold to a larger trucking company for tens of millions of dollars. And uh, before that, I was working in the hotel industry. I, I do not have a steady career path. I've always kind of jumped around and... Huh. Just said, hey, you know, this sounds like fun. Something I can learn about. I've kind of gone a different route, but I've kind of I, I relate to that of not having a set career path, but just kind of doing a bunch of different things to get knowledge from this field, get knowledge from that field. And it sounds like it's really working out for you. I mean, you've got a lot of things going for you, and I'm excited to see where you're at at 35 years old. And it'll be cool to to see. So you bought into Mako, and now you are your own boss. You make the schedule. You get the phone calls. It never ends. How is that compared to how do you keep that work-life balance and still find ways to uh, to build your business? You know, I'm very unique in certain aspects. I can disconnect from something completely without even thinking about it. So there are a lot of times my little drive home, I finish my work thoughts up. I disconnect. Unless I get an email or something, I don't think about Mako until... I come back in the next morning. Um, Grant, there's a lot of stuff that I, I deal with. Um, now, don't get me wrong. You know, when I'm sitting there having a drink with someone at a restaurant or whatever, or I'm meeting a new person, you know, I use that as an opportunity to flog. Hey, I work at Mako, you know, anything that I can do to help drive the business outside of work hours. But I try not to worry about things that I'm not going to be able to control at home. You know, if I sit there and think about, oh, well, this needs done and this needs done and this needs done, I'm sitting at home. It's not like I'm going to go drive back in and go work on a car. So there's nothing I can do at home to further that. So I just remove myself from it. There's no point in going gray over something I can't change. And that's kind of an attitude I've adopted a lot more recently to try and eliminate stresses. Don't worry about something you can't change. If you can't change it, there's no reason to bother yourself over it. I like that. I, that's cool that you're that aware of it. Because I know personally that's not easy to do. Um, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I used to be a store manager for a Subway for about a year. Uh, the fast food restaurant Subway over on 26 and 52 right by McGuire's Music. And uh, that was a 24-hour gig. But I... That was one thing I struggled with the most was once you're home, you have to tone it all out. Forget about it. I mean, your life shouldn't be your job 100%. Well, and one of the convenient things is we're only open from 730 to 5. So 
Oh, in that is theory, you know, the worst that's going to happen is the building's going to burn down. And again, I still can't do anything about that. Yeah. So I can't, uh, I can't change something that's not happening if I'm not there. And that's, that's one of the many benefits of, you know, working in a position where you close, you don't have unlimited hours versus like, you know, sub one and said, things can go wrong at, you know, 9 p.m. and you have to take a phone call. So I was lucky to have a subway that did close at nine because um, there are the Chauncey subway. Um, if you ran that store, you would be out until four in the morning. That was before COVID, but your store closed at four in the morning and would open right back up at eight in the morning. I mean, you did not have that. And that's when you got to have good assistance too. You know, if yeah. your your employees and your assistant managers and stuff aren't worth it. You know, you, you make do with what you got, but at some point you're going to burn yourself out doing something. So do you give yourself a lot of days off, or are you? How many hours a week do you usually? Uh, about fifty. Um, that's that's a good standard for running a store. As it's yeah, not, it's it allows me to keep on top of things. Um, I, I've taken two days off, and I'm not gonna lie. When I came back, it was a dumpster fire. That's but usually how it is. Yep. <laughs> it was also right after I'd started, so there was a lot of things that. No one else was handling that we've kind of reevaluated where things are. I'm actually going uh, to Florida in a couple of weeks um, for a week, so we'll see how uh, how things go without me. I'm I'm expecting at least three phone calls a day, but as oh, long as sure. we keep it under five, I think I'll be okay. Do you have a an assistant type role over there? Or is it yes, I have. Uh, I've got things broken up into a couple different ways. That way, I'm not the one that has to do everything. Because first couple months I was there, I was doing everything, and it took its toll. Um, I had a lot of employees that were very mad at me over a lot of different things because you can't control everything. And I'm a control freak. You know, I like to be involved in everything, and that still bites me a little bit. But we've gotten a lot better than it used to be. It's hard when you own part of the company; that's your baby. I mean, you—I know the feeling. You—if something's going wrong, you feel it. I mean, you feel like you oh have yeah, to be and there you have to—you know—if uh, if something's going to happen, I want to be involved before it turns into a dumpster fire. I want to be able there to go stomp on the flames before it becomes a raging inferno. Because ninety percent of the time, I can stop whatever the problem is as long as I know about it. It's when I don't know about it that, you know, we paint a car and something didn't get fixed that was supposed to get fixed. So then we have to repaint it. You know, that costs me twice as much now because we had to redo it. And yeah, it happens. We try and eliminate that, but things happen, you know. We've got one situation right now where a uh, lady's part hasn't come in for a week and she's pretty upset about it. I'm like, you know, I, I can't go manufacture the part. There's not much I can do. I'm at liberty of uh, suppliers here. Especially with COVID, I'm hearing that left and right from every field, every direction. People are waiting on parts, whether it's for houses or for cars or for, it just seems like factories of every direction are a little bit behind. And hopefully things get a little bit normal as the time rolls on. But I'm still sitting here wondering. We've gotten very lucky for the most part. We have had a couple instances where it's COVID related, but sometimes you know things just sell out too, and it's it's a battle. Um, hopefully, as the vaccine comes out and more people get vaccinated, or you know whatever happens happens, and we get back to a normal life. Because I refuse to accept this as the new normal. 
I'm with you. Hopefully things get moving again. I mean, I know a lot of the factories are ramped back up. I mean, hell, what, Subaru shut down for three weeks back in May, and they haven't had any supply issues recently that I know of. Kind of. That doesn't, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, that's probably not something we want out there. But but it, it is worrisome. But overall, um, how is COVID affecting your sales? Because you, you owned it right before COVID, right? About yeah, we got in in November of um, November of 2019. Oh, so you got in right before COVID. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we oh, barely man. had even a baseline established. The first couple months, you know, a lot of people didn't know what was going on. We had our little Indiana lockdown and everything, but... It really hurt sales in quarter two and three of last year. Um, and you guys didn't shut down no, when we, it first started. I remember. We never shut down. We're considered an essential business because we're keeping people on the road, keeping people moving. Um, but, you know, a lot of people those first couple months were very leery of what was going to happen. They were getting laid off. They were getting fired. They were, you know, money wasn't flowing. Um, tax time is always our best time because People won't have the free money to put into their cars, and we're seeing that pick up right now. I've got 30 cars on my lot versus a month ago. I had 10 cars. Wow. Well, that's that's good to hear at least. Oh, yeah. No complaints there, but it's definitely uh, not where it should be. Yeah. And, I mean, we're slowly getting there. Dealers are starting to pick back up. Um, but it's just when there's uncertain times, people are not willing to spend their money quite as freely, and I don't blame them. So, uh what are some what are your biggest struggles right now is it finding and keeping because you have a specific niche for uh, the type of employees you need you need people that actually know what they're doing when it comes for car restoration and is that the biggest shot in the foot or what that is the largest hurdle i've faced in a year and a half and it'll be the largest hurdle we face for a long time um my generation was part of that go to college and get a good job type thing and all the trades were forgotten. And we're finally starting to see that come back around and trades not be forgotten. But the average body man's age is 40, 45 years old, hell, even 50. My, my only A-tech who can do basically everything is 53 years old. And it's uh, he's helping me train new people, but it's a long, slow, tedious process. And until people realize that the trades are good-paying jobs, you know, we're going to have this issue. I hope that more and more people start to realize that, hey, trades are essential. But until then, we're going to see a hurt on that, and that's going to drive the cost of prices up because we have to pay more in labor, which means we have to charge more. That age gap with trades is so unbelievably real, and I also wonder what that's going to look like in the future. I I work construction with a group of probably eight guys or so um, in all of our ages range, but I mean – there are some days where I am working with them and I'm just sitting there thinking, I can't name 10 people my age that would do this. I mean, it's just, and it's not necessarily laziness, but like you said, people go to college, they, trades are forgotten about. There's not a lot of young 21 year olds that want to pour concrete for a living. The handy part is, is with automation coming out, you know, there's so much that AI can do and robots can do in factories and I mean, hell, I had Google sit on hold for me while I was waiting for a phone call earlier. It was handy for me, but we're getting so much automation in our lives. But the handy thing is, is 
You know, you're not going to be able to teach a robot how to fill a dent on a car, how to pull a dent on a car, at least not in the foreseeable future. You're not going to be able to teach a robot how to go rewire an old house. You know, the, there's such idiosyncrasies with it that the robots do not currently have the flexibility and dexterity to handle. That means that people in those professions are going to be very safe. Manufacturing jobs? I mean, we see it every day. You get new robots. They can do more. I mean, hell, you got that one robot that can walk around and stuff now and, you know, be pushed over and it won't fall over. And what are the, What's those things I keep seeing on campus? Are they delivering food, those little robot cars? The little white cars with wheels? Yeah. 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 They, they know where the food. streets are and everything. I've yeah. briefly looked. I've never gotten up close to one. Didn't even know they existed until I was driving around campus one day and was like, whoa. Yeah, I kind of want to just pick one up and take it. I'm not going to lie, they're cute. <laughs> but, I mean, if that's where we're at now with replacing the Uber Eats jobs and stuff that we just got 10 years ago, what happens when Tesla and Ford and everyone come out with their self-driving cars? That's going to eliminate the taxi market, the Uber market, and there's a ton of people we were talking off the air about that rely on that kind of work. You know? Yeah, that's very true. There's a lot of people that are laid off right now, but at least they have DoorDash. So uh, what happens when robots replace that? I'm looking for a huge, huge thing in the post office coming soon where they're going to lay off people, and I'd imagine go down to five-day week delivery. I know they're behind, but post office can't make money, and the taxpayer won't subsidize it. So, you know, what's that going to mean for Amazon? I bet Amazon comes out with self-delivering vehicles in the next 15 years. One of them, I think it's Amazon. One of them, if you pay extra, you can get the same item that, you're deli- that you want delivered. You can get it within the same day. I think that's Amazon. But I was going to say, there's several out there that have same-day delivery. Um, that blows my mind by itself. I mean, that you can just pick something off the Internet from no matter where it's at, and they get it to your door within business hours. That's a little wild. Yeah. I, I'm personally a fan of the way uh, Walmart's doing the little cubby pickups and stuff. Yep. Um, Lowe's does it now, too. Um, but you go online, you place your order. They pull the stuff, they put it in a cubby, you walk in, you pick your stuff out, and you leave. You know, uh, my wife and I have been doing ClickList for years now because we live about 30 minutes from Lafayette. So, you know, it saves me the hour in the grocery store. We can come down, have dinner, pick up our groceries, and go home in the time it would take us to come down and have uh, do our grocery shopping. So it's there's definitely going to be more jobs coming in that type of world. But also, there will come a point where robots can handle that. You know, robots can pick things off a shelf or bring you the shelf. If you've seen some of the crazy Amazon videos where they got the robot that picks it up and brings you the shelf, it's yeah. impressive. And so, we're definitely in for an interesting awakening, but only time will tell. I mean, it goes back to I think trade jobs are the ones that are not replaceable for the time being. So, what I was going to ask you about marketing and how you market your business, but also what do you do to keep those skilled employees in or coming in through the door? Or do you just kind of have to wait for them to show up? And when they do, you show them what to do and hope they last. Or, You know, the thing about body shop employees is most of them already have jobs because they're already in such a scarce supply. People know, hey, I got a job, you know. And they got a job anywhere they want to walk into to get a job. Um, 
with that being said, the employees we have, we keep them happy. You know, if that's we supply water for them, you know, that's that's a pretty minimal expense. Buy them a case of water. You a know. lot of places don't do that though, and I, I've had true shout out to True Green for giving me free water. I thought that was a nice perk for sure. I appreciated it. Popsicles, popsicles in the summer because we're not an air conditioned building. A lot of body shops aren't. Ooh. It's too expensive to air conditioning. And then you got cars coming in and out, opening doors, letting all that expensive air out. You know, so hey, have some nice popsicles. You know, I got one guy. I think he goes through about seven popsicles a day. But <laughs> that's a small price to pay for keeping him working and uh, keeping the cars moving. Huh. So yeah, if anybody uh, is skilled in the auto repair field, Jason is definitely the guy to talk to. I would send an application into Mako. I mean, we're even training people that have no experience. If you oh, have yeah. a passion for cars, um, right now we're kind of full, but uh, that kind of changes all the time. So if yeah. you've got a passion for cars, come and talk to us at least. And what you were saying about advertising, you know, word of mouth is a huge thing. And the Mako franchise in the 80s and 90s had a very bad rap for doing a lot of shady stuff. Oh, really? We are all independently operated, uh, so... I have a, a very strict policy about good work going out. If it, my first week I made him repaint something, I pissed everyone off. But I'm like, that looks like crap. We're not sending that out. I don't care how much it costs. We're going to make it look good because people are going to see that and be like, oh, who did that? And you'll be like, make on them. That's the reputation we deserve. Exactly. And that car has to drive on out of there with your name pretty much all over it. Yeah. If someone likes the paint job, they'll say, who did that? Who did that awesome paint job? Oh, my man Tiki over at Mako. Or I'm sorry. Uh, that was my nickname in high school, so <laughs> I get it, I get it. But, uh, I mean, even right now, I had a guy nine months ago just ripping us apart on Facebook. Never had any work done by us. I'm like, you know what? If we earn that reputation from you, fine, I get it. But you've not had any work done with us, so don't give me that. He came in. We gave him a deal. He's actually arguing with a guy on Facebook right now and says, hey, they do good work for a great price, you know? So if, he just randomly, he already had a bad experience, not with you, but with Mako in general. He had never had an experience. He'd heard from people that have had bad experiences at other Makos. We're one of the best rated body shops in Tippecanoe County. We've got a 4.7 or 4.8 review that's, rating. That's pretty impressive. Google. Yeah, that's hard to get. We beat Gerber, uh, Abbott's, all of them. We, we have a great review rating because I will make sure that the customers are happy because that's one of my customer service things service things um and i think that that really goes a long way towards helping our image in the community because mako's already got a bad stigma to overcome and anytime i can challenge someone about that stigma i do it you know i'm like okay you've had a bad experience come in let me make that experience better let me repair that experience we've actually got a vehicle uh we quoted yesterday Lady had some random body shop do the work, and it, it looks terrible, and I apologize to her. I've gone to court for a lady before because another body shop did a bad job on it and said, you know, this is not a standard that the industry should accept, and I, I will go out of my way to help anyone. That's pretty cool. You went to court for a customer. I mean, you didn't have to do that. That's Yeah, and she's not even a customer we've had. She brought it in for an estimate to see what it would take to get it right, and... Uh, I told her, I don't know who did this work before, but they did you a major disservice. And she's like, oh, I'm taking them to court. And I was like, you know, if you need someone as a witness, I'll be more than happy to come in. 
because you know there are so many people out there that are looking to make a quick buck and rip you off and i just i refuse to accept that and that's uh as i'm doing this podcast more and talking to more business owners and entrepreneurs one thing that's really standing me standing out to me the most is honest honesty in general i guess um the more honest you are and straightforward, those are the people you want to work with. And I, I feel like, I mean, I've known you for a couple of years. I don't know you that well, but I feel a lot of that coming from you, that you're a very honest person. You're not going to, like you said, you don't let crap job walk out the door. You want to make sure everything is in line. I think that's got to help you out a lot. Most people wouldn't trust your average guy to fix their car up and, you know, especially when they don't understand a lot about it. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I have enough faith in our work that, I've worked on my vehicle there. I've had a $3,000 paint job put on one of my vehicles. Ooh, look at you. Yeah, it, it's pretty fancy. <laughs> fancy. And, you know, we also have a nationwide warranty, too. That really helps us out. You know, you'd think that it wasn't such a selling point, but especially with Purdue students and whatnot, you know, they know that they can come in and have a vehicle worked on, and then when they go back home, there's a warranty to back that up. A lot of places don't have that. They don't have the name recognition or the nationwide footprint that we do. So that's also a benefit. Huh. So I I don't know if we got too far into it. What made you choose Mako in general when you were looking to jump into a business? What made you think Mako was the right move, not knowing a thing about it? Yeah, um, it's been in that location for 40 years. Um, when I came in, it, the, the lot looked very sketchy. That was one of my first priorities was – Get all the junk, get it out of there. It cost us probably about $5,000 to do it. Whoa. But, yeah, it uh, it definitely, I think, is paying off in that respect. We're working on uh, a couple other things to help uh, improve, improve our public perception because, again, at the end of the day, what the public sees is kind of what they get to judge you by. So That's very true. You don't want to pull your car into a shady-looking place. And we've got a great location. You know, a lot of people... Don't give Earl Avenue the credit it deserves. I know I didn't. We tried shooting a commercial for WLFI last March or early part of last year and the amount of cars driving by. You know, we had to pause every few seconds because the amount of cars, we just got slammed. Huh. And uh, so that's always nice to see. You know, it's a pain when you're making a commercial, but on the flip <laughs> side, you know, know that you have that many people driving past. I try and uh, try and come up with a witty new slogan for our sign every once in a while. I saw that. Uh, make your car great again. Yeah, you know. one, I believe. So we're getting close to the, uh, the ending time here. Um, I want to hear what were some of the biggest mistakes that you've made that you've learned on either in real estate or owning your first business, first of many, I'd imagine. And uh, what are your future goals? Where's where is this crazy path that you're on? Where is that going? Um, well, biggest mistakes, um, it is a blessing, but also my willingness to just jump into things. I've made a lot of mistakes with that. Like I said, um, I will never manage my own property again. I will never do it. Um, I just don't have the, uh, the drive to do it. And there are people that are, and God bless them. They're going to do that for me. Other mistakes, you know, jumping into things blind, you get your eyes open real quick, but it, from a business standpoint, the, the best thing for me when I was when I was pricing things, you know, a lot of my employees would come forward and say, "Hey, you're pricing this wrong." And to be able to have that open, honest line of communication with your employees, and you know, first couple months of COVID, I was very honest with the employees. I said, "Guys, we're not making money. We're losing a lot of money." And we started with a decent nest egg, and we burnt through that. Um, 
honestly, without the PPP program, we would not have been, we would not still be in business today. Whoa. Yeah. That's hard to hear. Man. It is. It is because no one was spending money, like I was saying. So it's, thank God the government had that in place. And it's also kind of given me some training wheels that I didn't know I needed. And having the employees to help back that up has been just fabulous because they've, you know, they've worked in the industry. They're like, okay, you know, let's sit down and actually look at the cost of repairing a car or fixing a car and being able to break down your costs. I know every business person owner out there says it. If you don't know your cost, you're going to be out of business. And it is 110% the truth. Huh? You got to know your cost. I'm still just blown away that at 26 years old, you jump into your own business, you buy into this company, and now you're the boss, you're the head chief. And not even a, six months later, the worldwide pandemic, and everyone's looking at you. What do we do? What, what's going on? That is just so crazy to me. I mean, it's good for you. I got, I got a lot of respect for you. I always have. But every time I talk to you, I just get a whole new perspective of like, whoa, this guy is really something. And I've, you held it together. I mean, you guys are doing good. Things are looking up for you now, right? Oh, yeah. Things are looking up. You made it through the hurdle. Well, and it also has also helped a lot that, you know, we're in a state where we're not so strict. We're not like California. We're not like New York. We've been able to continue to operate. And uh, I had a friend out in Pennsylvania. He bought his Mako at the same time we did, and he's still struggling. He's a great guy. He has more custom work than you could imagine. But... Uh, when the customers aren't allowed to come out and bring you their stuff, me, you know, I, I've had it lucky. A lot of guys out there, they've had to struggle, brush through it, you know. You know. Yeah, um, yeah. So what are your, what is your advice to a young, young entrepreneur type? I'm sure there's a lot of young people listening to this that might not think 26 is as young, but I look at 26 almost like a kid. I mean, 26 is a baby and you've got all of these things figured out. You've bought multiple different houses and you've made all these deals. You've now, um, so I guess, you know, take away the 18 years in high school or, in, you know, learning, call it the tutorial phase of life, which it isn't really, it doesn't get you anywhere near where you need to be. But, you know, in, uh, in eight and a half years, I've been through a lot. I've learned a lot and, uh, just always be learning. You know, it's something that, even if you don't think you're learning, you're going to learn something. That's why I've switched industries. You know, I've been in the hotel industry. I've been in fast food, obviously, in high school and stuff. Um, been in the trucking industry. And I'm now in the automotive repair world. And there's just the more you experience, the more you open your eyes to. I've got a couple of invention ideas that I need to figure out how to go about uh, working on from just little things that you wouldn't even think about if you hadn't been exposed to it and making that work, you know, off air, we were talking about, you know, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. So yeah, if you surround yourself with people that aren't going anywhere, it's going to be hard to overcome the, uh, the stagnation that you're at in your life. But once you change your friend group, you get out there, you start networking, you get to know people, you get to meet people. You can really advance yourself by just knowing people. You know, I wouldn't be in the position I'm in now if I hadn't gone and worked for the Shilly companies. I've met a ton of people there that have completely expanded my horizons. And, uh, you know, I might not be working with them today. I might not be doing anything deal wise with them, but, that doesn't mean the future, you know, we won't work together or come up with something. Yeah, I, uh, I wanted to throw that in there because I'm a firm believer in that, that you are 
who you surround yourself with and people can either whether you realize it or want to admit it or not people can bring you down or they can bring you places you could never imagine and that is actually how i know jason here is we have a mutual friend shout out to andrew and uh andrew was telling me this was years and years ago but he was telling me of all these things jason was doing how he was buying houses and selling them for more than what he paid for them and he had rentals and stuff and i said i gotta sit down and meet that guy i said andrew who is he I want to sit down and I actually uh, took you out to a lunch for spaghetti. But anyway, you got to find the people who uh, uplift you and can bring a better future. You know, they always say you never want to be the nicest house on the street. You never want to be the best house on the street because you got nowhere to go at that point. Yep. Let's amend that and say never be the best friend in your friend group. Always have someone that's a little bit better than you that you can compete with, that you can yep. strive to beat. Yep. I always say uh, you want to be the dumbest person in the room. No matter how smart you are, you want to be the dumbest. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. You can't grow from that. So anyway, Jason, we're at about an hour's point here. So I just wanted to say uh, thank you again for coming in, man. It's been a lot of fun. It's always a good time talking to you on air or off the air. I always learn something. I always get a new perspective. And I appreciate you taking the time to come in and do this. So. Well, hey, thanks for having me. You know, uh, Anytime I can flog my business, I'm out there trying to do it. Yeah. So. Well, we'll, we'll for sure uh, have you on again and see where you're at even in the near future. I mean, you're always making moves. You're always doing something. That's one of the coolest things about you. So, so I appreciate it, man. It's been a lot of fun. Well, thanks, Jordan. Yep, yep. Hey, thanks again for uh, sticking through a whole episode of Lafayette Connect. It's pretty cool that you made it this far. That means uh, it must not have been too bad. Go check out Taiki's shop. It's uh, Mako's Collision Repair and Auto Painting. It's over on Earl Avenue. Go get yourself a nice new paint job. Maybe uh, get that dent out of your car that you needed. Go check it out. Give them some business. If all this talk about real estate has got your blood pumping and you're wondering, how do I do that, Jordan? How do I get five houses before I'm 27 years old? How do I buy a house and then make tens of thousands of dollars? How do I do that? Well, email me and we can talk about it. Email me at jordanh902 at gmail.com. I have a real estate license. I can help you out with anything and everything real estate you need. But there is stupid money to be made in real estate, especially here in Lafayette and West Lafayette. So if that's something you're interested in, uh, give me a holler. Thank you so much, Jason, for doing this podcast. And thank you, listeners, for listening. I appreciate everybody so much. I hope everybody has a great rest of your week and uh, stay safe. Thank you again.